yesterday I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in the parking lot after our uh, son's lacrosse games, and uh, he was talking about how it's kind of a funny thing. What you'll often find on Mother's Day is that moms get a ton of sympathy, which absolutely, appropriately so. Like, we should lavish them with our love and affection and, and gratitude on Mother's Day. But what can happen to dads or with dads on Father's Day, especially in the church, and it can be a bit of a subtle thing, is that sometimes they sort of get preached at. Like, dads... Um, this is what you could be doing better. Uh, you need to be around more. You need to do more. You need to show up more and focus more <clears throat> and care more and respond more. In fact, if you could just be a little more like mom. <laughs> so today we're not going to do that. We just want to show our gratitude. Uh, this is one of the commands that we come across in the New Testament to honor our fathers. So if you're here this morning and your dad is still around, I want to encourage you not to wait to express that kind of loving honor to your dad. And I know for some of you, that may be the sort of thing that you need to pray about and you need to process. And maybe like a lot of fathers that we see in the scriptures, your dad had some flaws. But I want to encourage you that one of the most powerful sacred gifts you could ever give your dad is to honor him with your words and your heart and to express your love to him, reach out to him and say, I'm so grateful that you're my dad. So let me pray for us and then we're going to open up the text and we're going to look at this hymn that we'll be singing later today. God, we thank you for dads and <clears throat> father figures in our lives who have shaped and formed who we are. And we pray, Lord, that um, as we open up your word, we thank you for this promise in Scripture that just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Help us to grasp that truth as we turn to your Scripture. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As I've been working on this message over the last few weeks, it's had me thinking a lot about my dad. And he is here this morning uh, one of the things that keeps coming to mind when I think about dad is that he was always there. He's always been there for me. He's always shown up, even when things didn't go like picture perfect in our family life, a marriage that ended when I was really young. And it took me kind of growing older to realize that my father made some unbelievable sacrifices, things he's never really talked about to make sure that he was always close by, always involved in my life, always there to cheer me on, and to have that foundation of an unconditional, loving, encouraging, empowering father, dad, I am so grateful. And I really hope that having heard that, you'll be ready to hear with grace the story that I'm going to tell in just a few minutes. <laughs> so just to recap, uh, last week we jumped into this series looking at these great hymns, these songs that shape us. And we began last week on Trinity Sunday, of course, with Holy, 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 the great Trinitarian hymn. Today our hymn is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It's a newer hymn. It's written 32 years ago by the English hymn writer Stuart Townend. And he wrote this song not long after his father, who was a vicar in the Church of England, his dad tragically died in a car accident. Now one of the hopes, one of his hopes in writing this hymn was to shift the focus away from more of the, what seemed to be the prevailing winds of contemporary Christian music in his day, which had more to do with our emotions and less to do with the character and heart of our God. That emotions, as important as they are, God wired us 
to have emotions, and we should never check that at the door as we come into the house of God to worship together. But the center of worship is and always should be the character and heart of who God is. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, maybe less in this room than in the sanctuary, but 32 years old, 1990, how can that be a hymn? Like, that song is younger than my kids. And I, for one, love being a part of a church and a tribe that celebrates and cherishes these these songs that reach deep into our tradition over hundreds of years, these historic hymns of our tradition. I love that my daughter is learning them in choir. What a gift. But think about it. Every one of our sacred time-tested hymns at one point was a contemporary way of expressing worship to God. So, for example, uh, some of the most beloved hymns, if you open up our hymnal, were written by the Wesley brothers. Well, when they wrote these hymns, it was actually a little bit controversial, um, Often, they would pair these hymns with music from some of the secular tunes of their day. And there were churches at that time who said, wait a sec, like, that's heretical. We can't sing about Jesus to music that we hear in a bar. Like, we can't do that in the church. But the enduring truths of these hymns and the beauty of their music have stood the test of time and continue to bless us to this day. Now, if I had picked oceans, you know, for us, for the hymn today, um, a little bit of pushback may have been fair. And when I said that in the sanctuary at 930, they're like, I don't know what oceans is. (laughs) How deep the Father's love. It's a beautiful, theologically rich, sacred song. And the scripture that we're going to look at today alongside this hymn is Psalm 103. So if you have a Bible, um, why don't you turn to Psalm 103? It's about halfway through your Bible And what we find as we open up this psalm is that when we lift our eyes to God, what we see is not just an all-powerful maker of heaven and earth, what we find is a father. And we'll read this morning starting in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now before we take that down, If you've ever thought that the Bible is sort of divided into the Old Testament, which is mostly about God being in a bad mood, and he's judgmental and vindictive, and he's trying to handle our sin, but then you get to Matthew in the New Testament, and suddenly it's about grace. No. The story that that leads us through the entirety of the revelation of who God is, his heart, his character, his love for us, is one of unyielding, endless grace. Verse 9, he will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And then verse 11, these words that express the depth of his love, breathtaking words. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And we'll end the reading there. Throughout the scriptures, there are a number of ways that God is described in relationship to you and me. God is our creator, and we are his workmanship. God is our shepherd, and and he protects us as his flock. God is our our bridegroom, and he pursues us as his bride. But when the psalm writer, David, and later when Jesus himself, think of all the possible ways to describe our relationship to the God of the universe, he comes up with the word father. 
that the same God who fashioned the heavens and the earth, his heart is so full of love and affection for you that he has called you his daughter, his son. And as we look at this psalm and then as we sing this hymn together, How Deep the Father's Love, there are three things you need to know about this heavenly father. He's a father of immeasurable love, of endless grace, and perfect vision. Immeasurable love, endless grace, perfect vision. So first, he's a father of immeasurable love. Look at verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. Now, obviously, this is not an astrophysics lesson on the distance between earth and these celestial bodies, right? The father's love, is, it's beyond measure. The height of the heavens, there is no place you can go that his love does not cover over you. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, we'll sing in just a few moments. Immeasurable love. Uh, One of the words that David uses to describe the Father's love four times in this passage is the word compassion. Now these days that word compassion can almost get us a little off track because it tends to be seen as this touchy-feely, affectionate sort of thing, as if compassion were only possible for those who score an F, not a T, on the Myers-Briggs. Like, compassion is for feelers, not thinkers. No. Here's what David says, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children. It's the Hebrew word. Compassion is the Hebrew word raham. You have to stir up a little phlegm to say it right. Raham. It's related to the word that's used for a mother's womb. Raham is the love of a parent that is generated deep inside the core of who they are. It's the love that's born from inside you. That compassion when you watch a new mom, a new dad, protecting, holding close, comforting that vulnerable, helpless, newborn child. That's our God. Which is why when people came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray, how do we talk to God? His answer was not some theological paper, some high and lofty preacher-sounding verbosity. No, he said, when you pray, use the word Father, our Father in heaven. He said, pray like a child with a loving dad who's always there, always listening, always waiting to respond in compassion. You want to know how to pray? Don't look at the religious leaders who love using big words. We beseech you. No, look at a, at a child approaching a dad who adores her with immeasurable love. So that's the first thing. Second thing we learn about our Heavenly Father, he is a God of endless grace and how we need his grace. In a world of toxic negativity and cancel culture where we're defined by our accomplishments or perhaps even worse, by what we've done wrong. Which brings me to the story, Dad, that I hope that you're going to hear now with endless grace. (laughs) Um, Right about the time I turned 16 uh, and I got my driver's license, my dad bought this brand new car, and it was the ultimate sports car. And I'm not going to tell you the make and the model, except it's uh, one number below 912. And um, he bought this car, And dad took the time to lovingly show me how to drive a manual transmission and how to, you know, not get, you know, stuck or stall out or, and it took a long time and he was so patient with me and he would, you know, sort of show me and then he let me drive while he was in the car and that went on for a period of time. But I remember the day, I remember the night when dad came home from work 
And he gave me the keys to his brand new sports car so that I could drive to Blockbuster. Which Gen Zers, um, Blockbuster's like a Netflix store where you go to rent movies. I know that makes no sense. But he said, Dad, uh, Dad said, Brian, it's time for you to drive on your own. This was a big moment. So I pulled out of the garage. I'd only stalled out once. I started out real nervous. Um, and, you know, when you drive a stick shift, you can't go 10 and 2. It's, you can do 10. And so I'm going along, creeping along, under the speed limit, way under the speed limit. It's only like seven blocks away, and I'm barely getting out of second gear. But then I start to feel a little bit more confident and more excited and more comfortable, and so I started to accelerate. And now I'm going like 29 in a 30. And then I go from 10 to 11 to 12, and then I get to 1, and I am just feeling it in Dad's sports car. And as my confidence was growing... Um, I began to get curious about just how fast this thing could go. And so I wanted to feel what it was like to turn a corner a little faster. I mean, this car handled so much better than the Ford Probe that I was used to driving on a daily basis. And so I'm pulling back out of the Blockbuster video, which used to be just up the road here on University at the corner of SMU. And there were a bunch of college students in the parking lot. And so I wanted to show off my new car. And my driving skills. And so when that light turned green, I gassed it into that left turn. What I didn't know is that the way that this particular German sports car was designed, they put the engine and the weight in the back of the car, and that the wheels that give the car the power are the rear wheels, not the front wheels like my little probe. So when I accelerated into that left turn, I ended up fishtailing all the way across Hillcrest. My life flashing before me. Somehow I main control, I maintain control, which actually I'm kind of proud about looking back on that. And I drove the rest of the way home at like 12 miles an hour. And when I got home, dad asked me how it went. I said it was uneventful, boring, very safe. I got the movie you wanted, dad, Big Lebowski or something like that. And to this day, nobody has ever heard about the fishtail incident. And I knew that someday down the road, years later, I eventually would tell dad, like in a safe space, full of... Surrounded by a lot of grace-filled people like in a church. Endless grace. How endless is it? Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west. Real quick. Everybody point in the direction of east. Okay, that's not so good. Yeah, it's definitely, it's that way. All right? We were close. So west is this direction. Question. How far is the east from the west? Trick question. It's infinite. So far has he removed our sins, our shortcomings, our failures, our fishtails from us. Endless grace for those who fear God. And just to be clear, we don't fear God because he's angry or vengeful or vindictive. Fear is a way of talking about wonder, worship, awe, the willingness to, to kneel down before him in reverence. Here's what Charles Spurgeon once wrote. Far as the place of sunrise is removed from yonder west, where the sun sinks when his day's journey is done, so far were our sins carried by our scapegoat 20 centuries ago. And now, if they be sought for, they shall not be found. Yea, they shall not be, saith the Lord. And so you think about the immeasurable height of God's love the endless reach of his forgiveness, which of course brings us to the cross. Behold the man upon the cross, 
my sin upon his shoulders. And so the Apostle Paul can pray this prayer over the Ephesian church that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's a father of immeasurable love, endless grace. Now I think on a morning like this, maybe it needs to be said that for some of you, maybe the word dad can carry with it a sense of loss, of distrust, or abandonment. It's a scary thing when we can spend our lives focusing on the sins of our fathers, holding on to the mistakes they made for all the ways they hurt us, and we can actually feed on that resentment. One of the ways we do this sometimes is we fixate on dad's failures. And so we'll say things like, I'll, I'll never be like that. Whatever, whatever I do, I promise I will not do the same things he did. I will never get angry like my dad, or I'll never make the same mistakes. I'll never fill in the blank with whatever it is the way that he did. I was talking with a friend last week, and he was opening up about his relationship with his young son, and how early on as a young dad, he was so convinced, so resolved, I will never, ever, ever be the kind of dad that my dad was for me. I will never be angry. I will never just hound over him over all the rules that he'd broken. I will never rule with a fist. And then one day you wake up and you realize that anger, that bitterness that you have been feeding on for years has actually turned you into the same person. Because the I'll never strategy never leads to transformation. The I'll never strategy never results in a transformed life. And so maybe this morning the invitation is for all of us to let his endless grace flow through us. God, would, it, would your grace be the thing that changes us and sets us free and sets our lives on a different trajectory? So let me close with this. It's a story that one day Jesus told about the father. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son, which I think is a bit misleading. After all, there are two sons, and both of them are distant in their own ways from the father. But this story, more than that, the story that Jesus tells is not about prodigal sons. It's about a prodigal father, a dad who is lavish and extravagant and wasteful in his blessing and grace for his sons. There's a turning point in this story Jesus tells where the younger son is off in the distant country, wasting away all his inheritance, we're told, in wild living which is sort of the biblical way of talking about what happens in that movie, The Hangover. <laughs> but this prodigal son, he squanders all his money, the inheritance his dad had worked so hard to build. With nothing left, the son gets a job cleaning up after pigs in a pigsty, which if you know anything about Jewish cultural background, this is not an ideal place to be. And when he hits rock bottom, when there's nowhere else to turn, no one else to run to, the people that he thought were surrounding him because they were his friends, they were just after his money, it's the lowest point in his life. And in that moment, as Jesus tells this story, we're told the son remembers his dad. He remembers the compassion of his father's heart. And right then, this mud-covered, shame-filled son, he heads home. Here's what happens in Luke 15. As Jesus tells this story, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And his father was filled with, what's the word? Compassion. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Notice the dad isn't waiting on the front porch for the son to come back and give a speech and tell a story and fess up and own up and kind of begin earning his way back into the father's life. The father sees his son and he runs toward him. And the way Jesus tells the story, it's as if the father has been waiting there and watching the road, eyes peeled, looking for his son. Maybe this will be the day. Maybe this will be the moment. Maybe this will be the afternoon that my lost son decides to come back home. And so there's one more thing we need to know about our heavenly father. He has perfect vision. And he is always watching and always waiting for lost sons to come home. Even when you're in a far country, he sees you because he loves you. There's a line in this hymn, How Deep the Father's Love. And every time I'd hear it or sing it, it it would almost trouble me whenever we came to this line. It's near the beginning of the song, and we're going to sing this in just a few minutes. It says, How great the pain of searing loss, the father turned his face away. And I like never understood why would, I mean, how deep, the, this is all about his love for us. Why would this father do something like that? Turn his face away. That doesn't sound like the father in the story Jesus told. Why would he hide his face? And I think this leads us to the heart of what Jesus experienced on the cross, that the real anguish of the crucifixion, it was not just the searing pain of being beaten or being tortured or his body suffocating as he failed to grasp those breaths. The anguish of the cross was that the father turned his face away. A son who for eternity had never known a single moment without the father's face, without his gaze. And on the cross, Jesus, for the first time, experienced the anguish of being forsaken. Jesus lost the face of the Father. He lost his gaze. And he did that so that we would never have to. And this is why Jesus can say, the Father's always watching. He's always looking for us to come home. Jesus says, I'll lose the face. I will lose his face so that you never have to. So Heavenly Father, help us to be a people who can behold you in such a way that we know that you will never stop watching and longing to welcome us home. And help us to grasp from the youngest to the oldest in this place how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us and that our response would be to live and reverence, and worship for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.